I invite you to stand, church, for the reading of the word. Today we read from John chapter 16. I'll be reading again from Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase, honoring honoring this uh, father of us all. John chapter 16 and verse four, let me read for you today. I didn't tell you this earlier, Jesus talking. I didn't tell you this because I was with you every day, but now I'm on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I will send him, this friend, to you. The word of God. You can be seated. It is the Oscar-nominated Robert Duvall who was interested in making a film about someone who was fully human and also someone fully alive with the spirit. It is Robert Duvall who decided that we, America, needed such a film. He had a brilliant idea, an idea Hollywood had no interest in. It took more than 15 years. It took some of Duvall's own money. You might not be familiar with the film called The Apostle, where Robert Duvall, Oscar nominated for this role, plays the pastor from the South, Texas, who moves to Louisiana because he's got a troubled story. His name is Sonny Dewey, and he's a Pentecostal preacher. You might not remember this little film from 1997. Did any of you see it? A few of you, but the rest of you were worried about another little film that was released that year. That's why you don't know this one. How about this? Oh. Oh. Yeah, that little film. What, 13, 14 Oscar awards? Best actor, writing, director, cinematography, photography, best caterers on site, best mothers of lead actresses. Oh, that little film. Best award for not falling over while acting like you're in love. (laughs) The Titanic took all the oxygen in the room that year, 1997. A lot of us did not see the film with the Oscar-nominated Robert Duvall. In that film, he portrays a pastor with a troubled story. Quite interested in understanding what happens to congregations that are fully human and fully immersed in the spirit. This is Sonny Dewey as he enters his congregation one Sunday. Watch.
just me or does anyone think we should start church over? <laughs> Lucas, do we need to start over, man? <laughs> he took your moves? I've never seen you come down the center aisle, my friend. It, it turns out none of those are actors in that Pentecostal church. That was a requirement Duval had. He didn't want to hire people for this. He actually wanted permission for cameras to come inside during worship. That's what happened. He pitches the idea to Hollywood. They don't like the idea. He has to make the film himself in which he writes, directs, acts, all of the things. So he has a fall. He has a temper. He's violent. He loses his wife. That would be the Farrah Fawcett looking like she has rhythm. <laughs> He loses his wife, he moves to Louisiana, starts a new church called the One Way to Heaven Church, One Road to Heaven Church. This is his next congregation. exhausted yet? Been waiting for one of you to run down the aisle and take the microphone from us. 15 million, or 15 years, $5 million of his own money. It turns out he was really interested in the topic. He did his own research. He visited churches that were not afraid of the Holy Spirit, churches that preached about the Holy Spirit, taught the Holy Spirit, sung about the Holy Spirit. He says, doing his research, it seemed like a lot of them had surplus electricity. Tried not to be judgmental. On one Sunday alone, he visited five worship services. Collecting information. During one of those worship services in Harlem, he said, is when something happened to him. It was when the choir was singing a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. He said it was a sweet song and a sweet choir. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but while I was sitting there, I found myself overcome. And it was quiet and it was still and I didn't get up. I suppose I could have gotten up and joined everyone. I just sat still and I realized something just happened with the Holy Spirit. 
He says it was that experience that allowed him to go on and write the rest of the script for the movie, including sermons, portions of sermons he delivers as this character, Sonny Dewey, and maybe even inspiring very honest scenes like this one where Duvall is talking to God in the middle of the night. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and a once in a while woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. All right. This is Sonny talking now. Turns out that's the neighbor ringing the phone saying to the other people in the house, somebody yelling over there in your place? Can you tell them to be quiet? And the woman says, ah, oh, that's just Sonny. Sometimes he whispers to God, sometimes he yells. The film is released in 1997. Newsweek magazine releases an article shortly thereafter, an article with the title of The Resurgence of the Holy Spirit in America, of all things. Seems the Holy Spirit has come alive in North America. 47% of, of Americans claim to have had an experience with the Spirit. Now read that carefully. That's not 47% of Christians. 47% of Americans claim to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. That is within months of this film being released in conversation and chatter all around our nation. But fast forward about 12 years, the people at Barna, the good people at the Barna Group who do gather this kind of research, when they ask Christians in North America about the Holy Spirit, in 2009, Christians said, 58% of us said, that the Spirit is a symbol of God's power, but it's not necessarily a living entity. It's a symbol, like a plant. Third century church father Tertullian said, a plant is a good symbol for God, the Father, Jesus, and the Spirit, from the roots to the stalks to the leaves. The Holy Spirit is a symbol. What in the world happened in those 12 years in our country? that we no longer believed, most, of, most Christians believe that the Spirit is an alive entity. Show me the church that you're raised in. Show me the country that you're raised in. Show me the nuance of the congregation that raised you. And now we'll begin to talk about our various understandings of the Holy Spirit. Because it turns out Christians are all over the map on this topic. So let me say to you, uh, for Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we absolutely do believe the Spirit is a living entity. On the front of your worship guide, you'll read part of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I wanna just put a couple of the lines up here on the screen for you this morning. God the eternal Spirit was active with the Father, the Son in creation, incarnation, and redemption. The Spirit, it's not necessarily a he, friends. We have yet to solve that language problem. 
The Spirit is as much a person as are the Father and the Son. So yes, Adventist Christians absolutely believe that the Spirit is an alive entity, not just a symbol of something. But we are a little confused on this topic, so show me the church that raised you, the country that raised you, the space that shaped your language, and we start to get some clarity. We've told our Ghanaian congregation, our brothers and sisters who've been worshiping for almost 20 years in the Ghanaian group, if you worship with the Ghanaians, they will mention the devil more times in one worship service than we do all year. They stomp on him, they kick him out, they hold him down, they chain him up in one worship service, the devil, because show me the country that raised you and I'll show you the culture that shaped your religious language. It's like that with the Holy Spirit. So it turns out Adventist Christians, we do believe that the Spirit is a living entity, but even for Adventists, we're having some conversations now, a little bit confused. Father, Son, Spirit. Who's in charge of the Godhead? It's part of the conversation that's been going on in Adventist Christianity the last year or two. Who's in charge? Which one of the three? The answer is yes. Yes. If it's a test on your quiz, students, just answer yes. But we are confused in Adventist Christianity about this. We've, we think that there must be some hierarchy in the Godhead and God is in charge and some of the others are not. So it turns out in, Christ, in the Christian churches, in denominations, we've come to talk about the Holy Spirit in very different ways. Our Pentecostal and charismatic friends think of the Spirit like what we saw in the film here. Just kind of surplus electricity. Some people say it just feels like it's two steps beyond normal. That has come to us from our charismatic and Pentecostal friends, our evangelical Christian friends, which Adventists are sort of considered. We bring the Spirit into the conversation as the one who helped the sacrifice of Jesus become effective. Our Catholic friends talk about the Spirit in terms of what the Spirit brings to the organization of the church. All of us speak about the Spirit in just a little bit different ways. Adventist Christians absolutely believe that the Spirit is living and alive and moving and has a being, and that's about all I wanna say about the doctrine of the Spirit these next few weeks. That's about all I wanna say. Because Protestant Christians, we seem to have this reputation for mining the Bible, getting all the right answers, and proving what we believe, and the conversation kinda stops. We can show you substantially from Scripture all of the things we know about the, the Holy Spirit. I'm a little less interested in that. It feels like sometimes our label is clearly marked, but the contents are a little empty. So I have the same question as Robert Duvall. I find him a little, myself a little more aligned with him. Church, how is your experience with the Spirit? What is that like for you? In a few minutes, we're gonna ask you, how is it that you experience the Spirit and what is that like for you? What is it like for me? How is it that an alive, moving being is among us and brings us life? In our teaching today from the Gospel of John that we read from John 16, Jesus is telling them he's leaving. They've had the dinner, the dinner we celebrated here a couple of weeks ago. They've done the foot washing. Jesus says, my children, in a little while I'll leave you, and where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, where are you going, and why can't we come? That's the question Thomas asks, and it keeps 
It's a repeated refrain for two, three chapters. Well, where are you going and why can't we come, Jesus? Where are you going and why can't we come? Jesus says in John chapter 14, I will send you a friend when I leave. John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Stay in my love and when the world gets hostile, stay in my love. John chapter 16, where we are today. I will send you a friend. This is where Jesus says it's better for you that I leave. I want you to think about this with me for these minutes this morning. It is better for us if Jesus leaves? How could it be better? If you have the choice of Jesus present or Jesus absent, wouldn't you choose Jesus present? In fact, isn't this the crisis we're all engaged in right now? We're waiting for the reappearing of Jesus. How could this be true? It is better for us if Jesus leaves. This is what he tells the disciples. And they're having a full-on crisis. So the meal happens, where are you going? Well, where I'm going, you cannot come. Wait a minute, this is John, the Gospel of John says a lot about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, but it begins with those words, that large poem, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and what? Dwelt among us, how can the God that is with us leave us? Wait, we just got started in this story, Jesus. How can this possibly be true? It is better for you, Jesus says, that I leave you. What is it about the absence of Jesus that could help us? I will give you a friend, Jesus says. This is one of the ways the Spirit gets named in the New Testament. The friend, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the constant Companion. The Bible says much about the Spirit. We'll say some of those things in these next four weeks. But it is Jesus who says, I will send you a friend who will be a constant companion. You'll never escape this one. Our story actually started this way in Genesis chapter one when the Spirit is hovering over the waters, right? In Genesis one, chapter, verse one and two, and the Spirit of God is hovering, the Spirit of God is moving, the Spirit of God is present, the Spirit of God is considering chaos, the Spirit of God is considering that which looks unmanageable where life could not possibly be. Our story began this way in Genesis chapter one. We will have a constant companion. It is Jesus who says, I'm gonna leave so you can have this companion. Someone has said that the Holy Spirit is a noun that acts like a verb. And I don't know who said it, but I've been kind of attracted to this. A noun that acts like a verb. How is it, church, that you experience the Spirit the constant companion, the friend, the comforter, the guide, Jesus says. Oh, lots of other ways the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. This is simply the one I want to name today. How is it we're experiencing the Spirit now, today? How does it come to you? Is it like the preacher in the film while you're sitting and the choir is singing a song, this little light of mine, and something comes to you? Is it while, while the band is up here, is it in a word of scripture, is it something when you're moving around your world this week, how does the Spirit come to you? 
The band is gonna come. We're gonna begin the song that ends our worship service today, but we're gonna begin the song and then have a pause here as we do something we don't always do. Your pastors are coming down and we're gonna have microphones in our hands and we're going to ask you to give us a very short, a very short and succinct way. When the Spirit visits me, this is how it happens. This is what happens to me when I'm aware of the Spirit in my life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome is the song we've been singing around here. Think about that, would you? And we're gonna do something we rarely do because it's a little scary when we bring microphones and we have no idea what people are gonna say. The pastors at this church do not like doing this because we don't know what happens next. But isn't that kind of what the Spirit's about, friends? Isn't that kind of the Spirit? We don't know what's happening next, but we trust the Spirit is present and you all experience it. So we give you a minute to collect an idea you have, a short idea, there'll be pastors with microphones down here, one up near the choir, one over here where we see people congregated. What is it? This, what is it? How is it you experience the Spirit? What happens to you when that comes to you? There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. And I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of comes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill talk to all of us. Just put your hand up in the air. We'll find you. The pastors will find you. When the Spirit visits you, how does that happen? Can anybody share this morning? We got a hand in the back. We got a hand, another hand here. It was 1997, the year that this movie came out. My father went to visit me in Brazil. He went to visit a church. It was called the Church of Shangri-La. 
It was in a town in, uh, in Brazil, uh, a lot of potholes, uh, cities are very run down, it's very poor, third world country. But he wanted to visit a city, uh, church called Shangri-La in, in the city of uh, Miguel Couto. I went that morning in my 1964 uh, Volkswagen Bug and, uh, and we went and my dad said, it's somewhere down this street. We went uh, down the street and sure enough, we found a church up on a hillside. We walked into the church and uh, we sat in the last two booths of the church and my wife with our newborn child was uh, sitting in front and, and I sat in the back and my mom and dad were sitting next to them in the front, uh, front of me. When all of a sudden a, a gentleman came behind me and, and whispered in my ear and says, uh, Sir, are, are, are you the one who's going to give us a sermon this morning? <laughs> and I said, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm not the one who's going to give the sermon this morning. Hmm. Once that man left, something told me to get up. I couldn't sit still, man. It just like pushed me. And I, I got up. I walked outside and I saw the gentleman that had spoken to me. And, uh, and I said, uh, what, what is the problem? And he says, well, the, 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 the gentleman that was invited to give the sermon this morning, he didn't show up. And I said, don't worry, if you need somebody, I can do it for you. And, and those words shocked me. I, I, I didn't know where he came from. <laughs> uh, rapidly, they took me, they sent me into the back room of a small church and, and they sat me down and says, here, you, you, can, uh, you can study, you can do your, your, your meditation here. And, and I was there and I was like, Lord, what am I gonna do? I, I wasn't prepared for this. So I looked at my Bible and I found a short sermon, a Wednesday night sermon that I preached weeks before. And I said, Lord, this is the only thing I have. I, I don't know what else to do. And I researched it and I looked at it over and everything. Next thing you know, they, they gathered around and, and we get ready to go into the pulpit. And there I was in the middle of the pulpit and my parents and my wife were sitting there and their, their mouths were wide open saying, what is he doing there? But the Holy Spirit touched my heart that morning. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember what was the sermon. I don't remember what it was. Yes. But I made the sermon that morning. We believe you. And it gave me the opportunity at the end of the sermon. My dad called me in front of the church. And he says, Sergio, can you, can you look at this church for me? And I looked and he said, this church is the first church that I founded and I and I raised and, and I and I uh, supported to to raise this church mm. this is the first church where your mother dedicated her life to Jesus Christ mm. this is the church where my first son was dedicated to Christ and now this is the church for the first time I see my son preach the gospel wow it was the Holy Spirit that's the Holy Spirit that's the Holy Spirit slip your hand up in the air can you give us a a short idea of when the Spirit speaks to you, what does it feel like? Daphne, did you have your hand up? We're gonna to come to you and then we'll come over to Jean. Go ahead, da Daphne's right in front of you, Mandy. Sorry, that's hard to follow. <laughs> I just wrote, sometimes in quietness with God or in praise time with the music, I feel the Holy Spirit when I know that my attitude is changing from hardness towards goodness and hope. Hmm. Daphne feels the spirit from the inside out, 
from hardness to hope. Eugene, what about you? How do you feel the spirit? Um, there's a lot of stories I could share. Uh, I had a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit in 1989, which really changed my life. It didn't make my life better, but it changed it. Uh, one of the ways the Holy Spirit works for me is it'll bring a scripture to mind when I'm asked, what should I do? And I'll see a scriptural picture. But there's a, there's a beautiful picture that the Holy Spirit has given for me about my different troubles that may be of some help to others. Uh, myself and my family have had to suffer a lot of really terrible things over the years. And the Holy Spirit transformed those stories for me into a positive thing. It, the Holy Spirit showed me a Pathfinder uh, sash, and then there were badges on the, on the sash. One of the badges was divorce. My, my ex divorced me in 2009. It was very painful. Another badge was car wrecks. We had six car wrecks. Another badge was addiction. I've had to suffer with addiction. Another badge was depression. Another badge was chronic illness. Another badge was being mugged. Another badge was having our house robbed. So the Lord took all these terrible things in my life and he made them something positive as badges of honor for which there is reward. So Jean feels the Spirit transforming tragedy into something of honor. Put your hand up. What is the way you experience the Spirit? How does that come to you? It's likely very simple, right here in front, teacher. And then you have another one? Okay, we're gonna go here first, Yvette. I hear the Spirit when I am studying my Bible and I am asking God questions and He uses passages that I have been studying for days to answer me. He doesn't send me looking through different places in the Bible. I'm just, I'm reading and I see and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I hear you. And I feel like just in quietness we have an entire conversation and my soul is full. Could you hear her? She gets an entire conversation with God out of staying in one passage of Scripture. How does, uh, how does the Spirit come to you? Sylvia is back here. Well, Behind I wrote um, <laughs> that a rush of joy and freedom to worship with passion and complete, um, completely in mind and body. Um, when I was... 14, 15 years old, so I was a teenager. I was invited to a concert for um, a youth concert, Christian concert, and I attended that day. Uh, that was the first time in my life I hear Christian music, and it was like a bunch of just teenagers. Uh, it was so amazing. It was so scary. I was invited because I was gonna, I was gonna meet a special friend, and I asked my dad and he let me go and I went and I was excited that I was gonna find that special friend. I thought I was a different kind of guy friend, but when I was, I was listening, I was into the worship, I felt this energy fill in my body and throw my whole body praising God. They asked who wanted to accept Jesus as a friend and savior. And I was like, I'm not gonna go in the front. I was fighting, but the Holy Spirit 
grabbed me. I didn't realize why I was already in front, and I had this rush of energy, this, this flow of freedom that it's still with me until mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So it's just something so amazing. It changed my life. It changed the course of my family, because all my family become yes. Christian. And every time when I'm praying, I'm a really bad singer. But when I am praying to God, I have psalms that God gives me with music and I can praise Him mm. with all my soul and my mm. body and with, no, with freedom, with no restriction. Mm. I have to apply the restriction here at church because it will not look appropriate. Will you be I'm out here dancing in the aisle otherwise? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> She's one of our dancers. Thank you for sharing. The Spirit comes to you in freedom. Sylvia? My experience has been in little things like I'm talking to a friend and something I say makes her stop and she says, what did you just say? And I don't remember because it's the Spirit talking, I'm sure. And then she remembers and I can go write it down if I <laughs> try right away. And the other way is when someone needs a prayer, I'm talking with them on the phone I don't know what I'm going to say, but when I start praying, the Spirit does it. Hmm. Just the thing that we need in that person. Thank you for that. You notice how all of these are stories? It's really hard in one sentence to say, I experienced the Spirit, spirit this way. Who has the mic over here? Someone's pointing, go ahead. Whenever I prepare myself to go to my mission trip, there's many voices that tells, that tells me, don't go. <laughs> Yet, the Holy Spirit compels me to go. Mm. And after two, three weeks of my mission trip, and I see those people being baptized, two, five, 10, 20, 30, 50 people, it's the working of the Holy Spirit that convicts their heart and tears flowing in my eyes that they have accepted Christ in their lives. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the joy, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. You, Clyde watches the Spirit get him there on his trip and then watches the Spirit with people, real live bodies, giving their lives to Jesus. Does anyone else have the mic in their hand right now? I don't wanna interrupt someone. It will be better for you if I go, Jesus says. I cannot possibly understand how that could be good for us. But maybe it is good because because we would never learn this disciplined life with Jesus if he was right beside us. Maybe it is the, the most significant spiritual discipline, friends, we will learn how to do life with a constant companion. This is not saying, can I have a little more spirit? This is saying to the spirit, I'm gonna give you a little more of me. If Jesus was right here, I'm not sure we would be able to do it. If Jesus was right here, maybe we would say, oh, he's there, oh, look, he's out, oh, he's over there doing a thing. But if he's not here, 
We have our constant companion to remind us what Jesus would have us do. Maybe Jesus says, it's better for you if I go because if I stay, it's only a small group of you in a particular place who would experience this. But when I go, all of you, every place, all the time could have the spirit of Jesus. At some point, this is what the life is like growing up in, the, in life with Jesus. Jesus steps back and the Spirit shows us how to carry on. Is it, is it like when my father would teach us how to change a tire or to drive on the icy roads in Washington and Oregon? At some point, he got out from behind the wheel and we had to do that drive to school. Is it like when he taught us to parallel park because everybody has to know how? This is how you're a grown-up in the world, he would say to me, Christy, you gotta know how to parallel park. First time I paralleled parked in a van full of men, they said, how did you learn how to do that? Because my father said. Is it like my mama teaching me how to make the best apple pie? At some point, she has to take her hands off the rolling pin, and I have to do it. Is it like my piano teacher? She would hold my little wrists up and form them as I would play my little, at some point she had to take her hands away. I have to learn to hold my hands myself. It is better for you if I go, Jesus says, but I'm giving you a friend, a constant companion. Whatever you're up to this week, you've got a constant companion. If you're in Costco, Deb, on Friday, and it's crazy, you had a constant companion. If you're Jorah and Sarah, you're looking for affordable housing, you have a constant companion. If you're raising children who are going through their terrible 18s, you have a constant companion. If you're going into the voting booth on Tuesday, every decision we make will be tempered by a constant companion who cares about the good news for all. It is better for you if I go, Jesus says. I'm sending a friend.